Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there from Duffy and Brett Mears. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, 310 of these things. Good to have you with us for the 310th edition of the Anik and Florian podcast. Monday, July 26th, 2021. Anyone else distracted in the best of ways by Ken Flo's red pride t-shirt? <laughs> I'm an OG fan, dude. You're, I mean, you're an OG, great. period. Pride. Pride. And and that's yeah. your AF dad cap. What exactly is it a is. dad cap? I think it's the uh, it's this right. little thing on the right. back. It's like uh, it's so, not the snapback. Yeah. I don't fucking wear dad caps. Okay, I'm right. 43 okay. years old. I'm a dad of three. No, I'm glad that you are making use of the dad cap because a lot of people like the dad cap. And we have other options, obviously, at AnnaFlorianPodcast.com. Did not intend to begin the show this way. But the dad cap, I don't understand. You know, I feel like it's my dad on a boat, like 65 years old, like half in the fucking cast. You know? It's comfortable on my melon. I got to well, say, it's a little bit more of a comfortable feel, especially if I like I go here and it's like I don't have that plastic thing digging into my big five head. You know, I, I get it. So 
obviously our our chief marketing officer slash executive producer Cody Merrill was onto something because I got to admit when I first got the dad caps I didn't quite understand the fascination I'm a I'm a flex fit guy I'm a fitted hat guy you see my right. pinwheel hat today shout out to Wicked Tuna but mostly I'm a Travis Matthew guy and it's the flex fit and it's uh it's the fitted caps Those but uh enough about that because man do we have a lot to talk about on the heels of UFC fight night Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. You have a good weekend, by the way, Ken Flo. I did. I did. I definitely did. Got some good training in, watched some amazing fights. Yeah. I know it's a loaded question when you have an infant slash newborn. How yeah. how is how is Archer doing? Is he doing he's doing great, actually. Right. He's growing like crazy. Uh, the crying has been less and less. He's good. sleeping more and more. We're right. headed in the right direction, John. And you got a lot of travel coming up for BattleBots slash PFL. I do. I do. I had a little bit of a cold this week. I, I forgot to mention that. So I'm a little okay. stuffed up. Sorry for the uh, extra nasally Ken flow here. But uh, right. yeah, I got some travel coming up next month. A uh, bunch of work next month. Uh, but uh, we will figure it out for the podcast. All right, good. I mean, I, I just uh, don't want to be insensitive off the top, not asking about your weekend. But there's just so <laughs> much you. to get into with this fight night and and you had it off. What'd you do? I did. Oh, isn't this a beautiful thing? And you give me that 7 p.m. Eastern main card start time because 10.03, <laughs> yes. I'm out cold. That's huge. I mean, scorecards are red. I'm out cold. You know, <laughs> I'm like Daniel Cormier walking out of the Octagon post-fight interview. This fight card ends. I'm going to bed. But I love that that 7 p.m. Eastern start time because I, I was able to watch the whole thing. And, and as I tweeted, it really is nice when you've been working the schedule that I've been working to be able to sit down yeah. and touch your top lip to your bottom lip and not say a word as these fights are going on. You know, I try to be silent for the entire fight card, but uh, I couldn't help it. Once some of the judging intervened, I couldn't help open my mouth. No <laughs> hardest job other than fighting is judging. And we'll get into all of that. But TJ Dillashaw returns with much fanfare. Uh, there were a lot of people who wanted him to lose this fight, Ken Flo. And I'm hoping that we can spend more time on the performances than the scorecards. I just am happy for TJ Dillashaw. I thought he, he performed admirably. We learned after the fight of some of the challenges that he dealt with during his training camp in terms of his health. There was obviously adversity in this fight itself. Um, but Corey Sandhagen is a real problem. A lot of people thought Corey won the fight. What'd you make of TJ Dillashaw's return and ultimately the way uh, it went on the cards? You know, I, I don't want to sit here and, and turn him into, you know, some hero now, you know, based on everything that he dealt with. But he was dealing with a heck of a lot of stuff heading into this fight. Some of it or a lot of it, right, because of his own uh, doing. So, you know, the questions that you get on fight week can really throw you off. Uh, of course, you know, um, his past failed drug test was was a, a hot button issue. Um, a, a lot of people going at him about that. And that could certainly throw you off your throw you off your game. There was a lot of questions about his conditioning and how he would look, and right. you know, being away for two years, having the cut set him back, uh, and then kind of rear its ugly head. Uh, literally during the fight, he dealt with a lot, and the fact that he was he was able to look as good as he did, both physically, technically, and spiritually, heading into this fight. You know, wh whether you had him winning or not. Um, you know, right. this was a big win for him, you know, uh, again, to, to look this good against a killer in Corey Sanhagen, uh, it was just an amazing performance from him all right. the way around top to bottom. Uh, and, uh, I came away extremely impressed. TJ, uh, is a stud dude. We knew that, but yeah. he confirmed it yet again. 
what a hard fight to come back to. And again, I thought Corey Sandhagen won the fight and we will get into all of that stuff. But I do believe TJ Dillashaw, uh, as much as this might nauseate the Ray Longos of the world, deserves to be celebrated, right? For coming back in this form, for leaning on the wrestling when he didn't have a lot of uh, sparring rounds to lean back on in training camp, to deal with that cut in a, 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 a most awful place and to fight through that and then to come back with the yeah. knee and win that third round. Right. Well, and the, the hurt knee. I mean, he, he injured his knee in round one. It popped on that uh, 50-50 inside heel hook, which is brutal. Looked like he's pulling it out, popped his knee out, uh, was certainly limping back to the stool after round one. So he was dealing with a hurt knee for 20 minutes. 20. Yeah. So Longo loves TJ Dillashaw in terms of yep. his interactions with TJ, yep. but Ray has also said publicly, and by the way, Ray Longo did have a death in the family and will not be joining us today. So please send your uh, condolences and well wishes to uh, at Ray Longo MMA, and we'll try to do a Longo live yes. later in the week. Um, but Ray has also said publicly, as much as he likes TJ, that he would be kicking that type of athlete out of his gym for using EPO. And I think there are a lot of our listeners who believe TJ should have had a lifetime ban or a five-year ban or not come back in a title eliminator against Corey Sandhagen. I mean, all of that is history to me, and we could drag the show down with that conversation. And maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but to me, I'd rather focus on the present, which is that he is back. The promotion did give him this fight and he performed admirably, even if when the scorecards were announced, I thought they were going to give it to the other guy. So there are a lot of deferring opinions on the scorecard. Seems as though the majority opinion is that Corey Sandhagen won this fight three rounds to two. Um, I gave Corey Sandhagen rounds two, four and five. I gave TJ Dillashaw rounds one and three. Do you have anything for us on that, Ken Flo? So, yeah, I, I have a completely different look. I try not to, you know, I'm hearing your scorecard for the first time. I am, um, you know, I tried to kind of stay off social media as much as possible and Good. look at numbers and things like that. Um, I had it Sanhagen three rounds to two as well. Uh, my rounds are uh, different than yours and probably okay. most people's. Uh, but again, I did go back and watch it a second time um, so to actually try to score it. So I actually had round one for Corey Sanhagen, and I'll tell you why. Um, TJ did take him down. I didn't think he was effective with his striking, uh, in my opinion, on the ground. I thought it was Corey Sanhagen who had the near submission. Why aren't we scoring near submissions, especially ones that injure another guy? I mean, you, you can't argue that that didn't do any damage to that knee. It compromised TJ for the rest of the fight. That, to me, is about as effective as it gets without submitting an individual. And I think, you know, it was close on the feet, but I thought Sanhagen was a little bit sharper, um, you know, on the feet when it came to the striking. Uh, and, um, you know, I thought the grappling exchanges were the difference. Um, so I actually squeezed that out one for Corey. Um so Let me just say two, this on round one. I have no yeah. issue with that whatsoever, yeah. bro. Like right. he, had him in a goddamn, he had him in an inverted triangle for almost a minute, right? Like exactly. that was the other one. Exactly. Clear. Round one. I'm, I had it for saying anyone who had round one, either way, no problem at all. As you yeah. would. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for reminding me about that uh, triangle as well. And well, round because two, I thought the leg attack yeah. might've been in round two what, that compromised the knee, but I was obviously wrong on that. But either way, the goddamn inverted yeah. triangle, don't tell me Ken Flo that right. that wasn't close. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and on his and, shorts, you know? 
Yes, 100 percent. And that is and is not again. That's the same one uh, that Jorge Masvidal got submitted with. So Cruz it, was all it, over that. It, Toby, it's Mata. a tricky one. 100 percent. All right. Round two, I had for Corey Sanhagen as well. Um, I actually thought that uh, Sanhagen started to get it together a little bit. He was very effective on the feet, obviously. Round three, I had for TJ. Round four, I thought was super close as well, John. I actually had that one for TJ. Um, I, I thought that, um, you know, some of the things he was doing was nullifying some of the striking from Sanhagen. I thought that, uh, you know, later on in the round, I thought TJ was a little bit more effective. So I squeezed that one out for TJ. And then round five, I had for Sanhagen. I think that was pretty clear for most people. But yeah, um, yeah. That, that's that's how I had it, dude. Not a robbery, although some who went into deep video breakdowns would even suggest that it was a robbery. And by the way, I correct myself. I had Dillashaw 1-3 and Sanhagen 2-4 and 5. Uh, but I okay. can certainly see why. No, I can certainly see why with that inverted triangle that people would score for Sanhagen. So right. there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't think Corey Sanhagen will lose too much in terms of the pecking order. He had an interaction with Sean Shelby after the fight, and he's one win away from a championship opportunity. And he really owned this performance. It's not as though this was a perfect performance from Corey Sanhagen. He yeah. felt like he needed to do more. And I don't want to talk about open scoring necessarily, but man, it would have been interesting if Corey Sanhagen knew he needed that fifth round. Um, yeah, but what did you make of Corey Sandhagen's performance in terms of maybe what it left to be desired and what he could work on to make, uh, this fight or future fights more clear cut? Yeah. You know, listen, I, I think that there was, um, you know, first of all, on, on the ground, I think a lot of judges are, are, aren't going to get it so right. They're going to give it to the guy who gets on top. And I think that was kind of a little bit of his issue. You know, he was trying to grand B roll out of some of those takedown attempts, um, had some success with that. Uh, in some instances did not, um, you know, I, I thought that TJ getting around to his back, um, didn't look great for him. Now, Here's the thing for people who are saying, you know, that was a big deal for them. He is nullifying Sanhagen. TJ was nullifying Sanhagen, but he's not doing damage to Sanhagen. Now, Sanhagen isn't doing anything to him either. So there is right. that level of control that is effective. Now, does that outweigh the striking that Sanhagen did early in the round? For me, that's a no. Right. Um, so I think that's what people should be going back and looking at. Um, in a wrestling context, I think it, it shows a certain level of control. But again, TJ wasn't necessarily hitting a ton of takedowns and then getting control after that. Not a ton. Right. right. There were very few. So for me, I thought that those, you know, rounds that were close on uh, when it came to the striking, that might have been the difference. But uh, right. for me to say, you know, hey, give those rounds to TJ when Sanhagen was out striking him, I, I, I think that's unfair. So. Um, you know, so again, to get back to Sanhagen, he needs to get those underhooks. He needs to blade his body, get those underhooks, keep him facing TJ a little bit more than allowing TJ to go around to his back, which was essentially nullifying his ability to attack, uh, TJ with anything, uh, effective. Right now. In terms of aggression and octagon control, I still think a lot of our viewers and listeners don't understand that those two 
criteria points aren't even considered if you can determine a winner based upon the effective striking and or grappling in that right. round. So Those don't even it, come into play. Right. So in a yeah. broad sense, I like when the forward-moving aggressive fighter gets rewarded in a close round, but you really don't even get to that condition. And octagon control is essentially a non-issue. That means a judge would arrive at a 10-10 round, and then because Dillashaw maybe was controlling the octagon, uh, you would swing the round in his favor. Um, but either way, a lot of people feel like these guys are destined to fight again. Certainly Dillashaw has more healing to do than Corey Sandhagen does, but it's amazing in terms of these fights and how they swing. And now Sandhagen's going to have to fight somebody like, uh, I don't know, Rob Font, or I don't think it would be Dominic Cruz, but now yeah. Sandhagen's going to have to fight somebody else. And, and I think Dillashaw has got to be, got to be in line for the Jan Sterling winner after, uh, after getting the nod on two of the three cards that actually matter. I, I agree. I, I don't think either of these guys should, and I, and I stress should lose too much uh, from this, you know, right. what, whether it was TJ or, or Sanhagen, you know, I, I had Sanhagen winning as well, as you said, but neither of these guys really lost. It was super close. Um, I, I could see both uh, reasons for it, but I, I did think Sanhagen should have got the nod. This was, I agree with Cormier. This was one of the more high level fights I've seen in a long, long time. The techniques that were being exchanged back and forth, the drama and everything I thought was, uh, it was tremendous to watch. I learned a lot watching these guys. Um, so what a display from both men, uh, you know, in their primes, really, uh, I thought it was a, a definite treat for everybody. And there are going to be people who are going to forever judge TJ Dillashaw and really don't want to hear anything that amounts to praise for him in terms of his skills. But pre-EPO, uh, there are a lot of people who suggest that he was using performance-enhancing drugs, even though there's no proof of that or positive test uh, to prove that point. Um, but there are a lot of us out there who absolutely have loved watching this man compete as a mixed martial arts athlete and are happy that he is back. And there's a family side of this. I'm just happy for his family. And to your point, the mental and physical toughness, but the mental toughness, right, to deal with, granted, a predicament that he firmly put himself in. Um, but that had to be a hard fight week for TJ Dillashaw, especially knowing some of the stuff he was dealing with in training camp. And uh, again, I know a lot of you don't want to hear that, but it's a good man in a lot of respects, and I'm happy for him. And I think for Corey Sanhagen, he couldn't have handled this loss any more graciously, you know, in terms of his voice on social media. And I don't think uh, a lot of us feel like his star dims at all. I, I think if no. anything can flow, I mean, accruing these five rounds before he gets to a title fight, I think is enormous. So uh, I don't know. How about this Bantamweight division? I mean. It really is one of the toughest uh, divisions in the UFC right now. Uh, a ton of killers um, with a bunch of variety. And, and it's great to see that depth uh, in at bantamweight. But, you know, good luck to anyone who is going to face either of these guys in the future. Yeah. I mean, Sanhagen's just going to be that much more of a beast. Uh, TJ is certainly going to learn a lot from that going five rounds. Um, but, uh, you know, against someone like Sanhagen after a long layoff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean just a, a really highly technical and entertaining fight that uh, definitely delivered. That was one of those fight nights that I think people will remember for a long time. And I feel for Dominic Cruz having to call that fight, Ken Flo, in a lot of respects. You know, I mean, yeah. just the history with TJ, the potential future history with Corey Sanhagen, the fact that there are stylistic similarities in terms of what he does with his footwork and what these guys do, right? So <laughs> he's trying to do, do the job, and I just – I really thought he took himself out of the equation and, and was very praiseworthy of both of those athletes and uh, very forthcoming with the right analysis. So I, I wanted to shout out my guy there. Uh, 
Cody, I mean, am I missing anything, Kenny, on Dillashaw Sanhagen? I mean, I really enjoyed watching that. I don't know if I'm missing anything, but uh, at Anna Florian Pod, yeah. if there is anything that we uh, that we really missed. All right, co-main event: Howley and Piba over Kyler Phillips by majority decision. So Howley and Piba, the longtime flyweight, had weight cutting issues. Moves up to 135 pounds. He will take Kyler Phillips' ranking in the top 15. A lot of layers to this one, Ken Flo. A lot of folks out there thought Howley and Piba deserved a 10-8 in round one. Um, what'd you make of the co-main event Saturday? Uh, that Phillips deserved a 10, eight in round one, right? Is that what you meant? Yes. I apologize. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, that's, that's the way I had it. I, I thought it was deserving of a 10, eight, um, especially when you look at the last 30 to 45 seconds of that first round. I mean, he hit him with some bombs. I mean, the, the fact that Piva was able to take those shots is astonishing, those were huge shots, the elbow, uh, that right hand. And if you if you blinked and if you weren't at the right angle, you weren't going to see those shots. And Piva, like, just, you know, his head kind of swung back and it kind of went back into place. There were a couple times where he kind of stepped into yeah. potholes. But if you weren't really watching, you could have missed those shots. Maybe that's what, uh, you know, why the judges did what they did. But I certainly had it 10-8. Uh, for Phillips uh, in round one, round two, I had for Piva, you know, him coming back and round three, I had for Pil Phillips as well. I thought it was a 10, nine uh, in round three. I, I thought it was um, pretty clear. Uh, it, it was close, uh, close ish, but I thought um, it, it was going to be a clear decision for, for Phillips or at least a draw. And the fact right. that it went Piva's way uh, was quite surprising to me. And, and again, I don't want to take away from the performance of Piva, uh, because it was really a gutsy and, and skillful performance from him. But, you know, when we look at numbers, John, and, and I think this is kind of um, a, an American thing, right? We, we like to put up these numbers, uh, whether it's on ESPN or Fox Sports, and we feel like, you know, this is going to tell the story of what happened in the baseball game or the basketball game or the MMA game. Um, I think it works better for other sports than it does for MMA. MMA is both a science and an art. And, and how you interpret those things is open to debate. I also think that how do you how do you deliver a message through numbers when, you know, if I hit you with 10 skimming shots on your head, 10 jabs, and you hit me with one bomb that rocks me in the fight – do the do the 10 numbers really add up if I did literally nothing to you with those 10 punches? Right. You know, so it, it's a tricky thing. Um, so for people, you know, just looking at numbers, I urge you guys to look at more than that. Well, what are the effect of those punches? What are the effect of those submissions? What do they do with the position? What do they do with the takedown? It goes deeper than just kind of looking at numbers and and, and putting it together. It's it's not it's not that simple. It really isn't. Well, and that's great advice for judges too, right? Because that yes. is what their thought process is supposed <laughs> yeah. to be, right? Yeah. In terms of the word damage and dominance and duration. And there's a lot of mathematical issues I have with this particular fight. So I believe Sal Diamato is the best judge in mixed martial arts. I don't think this was a perfect night for him overall, but he did have a 10A for Kyler Phillips in round one. And mm -hmm. obviously you've heard us talk a lot about more liberal 10-8 rounds being doled out by the judges. This is definitely something that is encouraged in the new language. 
I scored rounds two and three for Howley and Pye, but 10-9. Okay, you and I disagree on round three, but I think our entire listenership can agree that round three was close and round one was not. So they can't both be 10-9s, you know? Sure. So I think that for the other two judges in question, as this fight is going on, they're looking at their scorecard and they hand the fucking thing in and they know that they're not handing in an appropriate scorecard, right? Because they can't retroactively go back and give Kyler Phillips a 10-8 for round one. But if you're writing Howley and Piva a 10-9 for round two, what Kyler Phillips did in round one is not mathematically equal to a 10-9, and therein lies the problem. So, yeah, I mean, and now Kyler Phillips loses his ranking. And, uh, you know, but to me, I mean, that's just, that 10-8 was really clear. And the fact that that my dude Chris Lee can't write down 10-8, you know, it's just like what what am I missing? You know, um, yeah. I, I I I don't know. It's a it's a really really tricky thing. And uh, there were a lot of people who thought that Pivas Corner might even throw in the towel after round one. So a yeah. clear as day 10-8 uh, under the newish scoring language there. But I think we should acknowledge Hallie and Pivas. You did just the toughness overall to stay in that fight and come back and win it. You know, I really like him. He's a really skilled fighter. He has been through a lot of adversity, uh, you know, some of it self-inflicted, not unlike Dillashaw in terms of the weight cutting and things like that, <laughs> yeah. but I like him. And, uh, and all of a sudden Kyler Phillips, who was all the rage going in um, now has some work to do. I, I tell you what, you know, y- you don't perform like Piva did unless you've, you know, been to some dark places, you know, that, yeah. that guy, he's a, he's an absolute killer. Uh, and, and I think he should be celebrated, uh, you know, for his performance, um, you know, but uh I don't think he won the fight. Um, right, right. You know, even a draw, I would have been like, eh, well, right. It, it would right. have been much better than 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 Piva winning the fight. So, yeah, again, that was just kind of confirmation for me that the judges really had an off night. And again, we talk about this all the time. It really does affect the fighters. Um, you know, in a lot of different ways, monetarily, ranking yeah. wise, legacy wise. Uh, so. It's a tough one for Kyler, but I also think that Kyler's going to learn from this. He seemed a little too ramped up and he seemed panicky at times. And I think that also helped contribute to the fact that he, he was giving almost momentum to Piva. And the yeah. judges also look at that energy too, where he, he, he just he seemed a little rushed out there, especially in round two. And he was gassed from round one from, you know, putting the beating on him. But, um, yeah, I know. It was, it was I know. I I know. I penalized Phillips on my card in round three for his body language. I didn't like right. it. You know, no, I mean? that's a thing, um, right? So, it, it, it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he really went for it early, and I think uh, in terms of his cardiovascular system, he paid for it later in the fight. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now we get to Darren the Damage fucking <laughs> Elkins. Okay. I mean, I don't even know what to say about this guy, but if you are walking to a sportsbook window and betting against Darren Elkins with your hard earned cash, got to find better options on the board because this man is a zombie and uh, he will break you. He, uh, he broke a guy in Derek Minner. Who's really hard to break. How about, how about Darren, the damage Elkins still going strong? Uh, dude, unbelievable. I was watching the fight with, with a buddy of mine. Uh, one of the guys I'm helping out uh, as he starts his MMA career. And he goes, you know, my brother's an idiot. You know, he just told me that he had Minner uh, winning uh-huh. bet. He bet Minner to win in round one by submission. And we're watching this fight. And he, you know, he has Elkins at a bunch of different of positions. He's almost getting him to submit. And, uh, and he's like, dude, 
I mean, he's, he needs to look at the tattoo. It says the damage on it. One one doesn't just finish Elkins in round one. Like, Elkins is a beast, dude. Like, he is a savage. Like, that's, that's why you train martial arts, because there's guys like Darren Elkins out there who you can hit with a hammer yeah, over right, the head, right. and he keeps walking at you. It's like, right. you're going to have to kill me, period. I don't even know what to say, but I do know that he has children, at least two of them, and it's like... That's my dad. Okay. Did you see my dad just come back Please. against Mursad Bektich? Did you see what he did against Derek Minner? Yeah, he bleeds, you know, but he wins more than he loses. And uh, I think it might have been Sean Sheehan, uh, the great journalist, who suggested that, you know, when we sort of campaign for Diego Sanchez to be in the Hall of Fame, like, do we got a, any room on that wing for Darren fucking Elkins? Right. The damage wing. The damage wing. Darren Elkins has uh, our ultimate respect so much so that when we do the seventh annual Anakin Florian podcast awards next January, uh, there will be a new award in Darren Elkins's honor. Uh, Something having to do with his tattoo and the word damage. And you remember those pictures when he got it tattooed, it was like the barbed wire just red as hell. Yes. They're like, Hey Darren, do you want two sessions for this tattoo or should we just uh, crank it out? You know, one layer on top of each other today. And Darren's like, what do you think? We'll do it all today. I, I tweet, I, tw- I tweeted it, but Elkins has to be like a now, like Elkins should replace uh, the word comeback at this point, because like right. Webster Miriam needs to get that in the dictionary. If you yeah. pulled off an Elkins, you pulled off yeah. like one of the most epic comebacks in history. But Elkins is the man, dude. Talk about warrior, man. It's it's thrown around all the time. Uh, but uh, Elkins, it, it truly fits the bill, man. What a beast. Yeah, we could even do a verb, you know, to yeah. Elkin, like do you Elkin your way back yeah. into the W. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Look yeah. at it. Look at look at that dude. Elkins for the win again. <laughs> Man, congratulations to uh, Darren Elkins, who won a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. And there have been a lot of people who have buried him. And there have been times in the past where people have suggested that they don't want to see him take any more damage, no pun intended. Um, But man, just puts in all the right work. It was a big night overall for Team Alpha Male. Um, Macy Barber trains under that roof now she wins by split decision over miranda maverick on the main card ken flow so uh yeah i don't really know what to say about this one seemed to be 29 28 for miranda um you know i can lean into being happy for macy barber because i know how hard she has worked and, yeah. and seeing her embrace her family was certainly a special visual um and i hate when people trot out the lazy line don't leave it in the judge's hands but um yeah you know, if Miranda Maverick knew in that third round that she hadn't banked two rounds and there was open scoring, maybe her performance changes. Uh, what'd you make of the flyweights kid? Yeah, listen, that was one of those where, you know, I, I think I walked away to get a glass of water or something like that. And, you know, and you hear the decision, you're like, wait, what? Wait, did they say bar? Yeah. Barbara, does yeah. that? No, that's got to be a mistake. They must have called something wrong. I had Maverick winning that one. You know, I, I thought uh, Barbara did a great job. I think it was it round three or round two where three. she won. R- round round three, three where Barbara yep. won, right? Yep. Yeah, sorry. So the first two, yeah, I had for Maverick. Um, you know, she was in control, she was landing the better shots. Um, I think Barbara, you know, again, kind of struggling with uh, distance management. Um, 
uh, again. Uh, and, um, you know, I thought that Maverick got off to a great start. She was controlling the fight. She was landing more shots. She was cleaner with their technique. Um, and I thought she was dictating the pace of the fight. Round three yeah. came around. Barbara came back, uh, won that one. Um, but, yeah, I, I just didn't see it. Um, you know, I, it's not like Maverick blew her away in, in right, rounds right. one and two. You know, so – but right. that, that was a mistake in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I felt like Miranda Maverick's performance left a little bit to be desired relative to maybe where I think her flyweight sure. ceiling is. And I thought the That's fight fair. was a little bit pedestrian. So I think largely yeah. we're in agreement there. Uh, I guess I just think that it's really hard when maybe 90% of us at home feel like we can go get a Modelo brood for those with a fighting spirit because we <laughs> know the result. And yeah. then you know, we come back and, and the result goes the other way. Like I wonder, and, and at Anna Florian pod, if you want to chime in, like, does this give you pause Kenny to bet on mixed martial arts? Cause I mean, for me, it's easy. I'm contractually prevented from doing so. You know, I bet on 11 fucking baseball games yesterday. Okay. But like, to me, if I had bet on, you know, Kyler Phillips or, Miranda Maverick, like I'm not trying to bet on fucking Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland this weekend. I'm a, I've had enough. Dude, there's no question about it. And this was one of those cards that literally could bury people. You know what I mean? It was just like, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. You know, so yeah, you know, mixed martial arts is one of those things that is extremely difficult to bet on. Uh, you, you see me, old Ken Flo, struggling in the prediction uh, department this year. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough. It really is. You never know what the hell is going to happen. There are infinite amount of factors that can determine who wins, who yeah. loses, uh, you know, and then you throw in the equation of judges, refereeing, you know, yeah. uh, slippery canvas. I mean, shit, it just goes on and on. I've been thinking about ways to modify our main event challenge, right? To give you the opportunity. Just give to... me extra 30 points, dude. That's a, yeah. well that, but to just be able to say, to give your analysis and give your breakdown and tell people how each man or woman can win and then say, but you know what, on this one, I'm not giving you a pick. Cause I'm not going right. to, I don't fucking know, you know? So I'm trying to figure out a creative way for you not having to pick every fight, you know, um, get ready though, by the way, cause in about 15 minutes, you're going to be picking uh, Roman Kovalov and Sam Alvey. So buckle up. <laughs> but no, it's a it's a tricky thing, right? Because when people ask me about Howley and Piva versus Kyler Phillips from a handicapping standpoint, going into that fight, it's like, right. dude, Kyler's last fight. Who knows what version's going to come out this time? But dude, certainly can't bet against Kyler Phillips based upon his last fight. And given yep. how tough Piva is, I'm not in any rush to fade that guy either. So you know, probably a layoff for me. But I think for a lot of people, throwing Kyler F Phillips in a parlay had to feel pretty good uh that you had a 10 8 in round one but i digress yeah. all right in the nature of time i would like to get to adrian yanez performance of the night bonus win for his work over randy costa uh costa very dominant with the jab in round one can flow but it was yanez in round two and uh i think we got a new bantamweight contender it's it's the houston texas product adrian yanez what do you think you know sometimes you walk out on fight night and you just don't feel great. You, you don't have your, your, you know, what for whatever reason, um, you know, you can have an off night. And if you have an off night uh, when you're supposed to fight, you know, bad things can happen, uh, especially when you have a, a very talented and dangerous dude like Costa coming at you. I mean, he was firing in all cylinders. The problem was he was firing in all cylinders. He didn't slow things down. He didn't pace himself. He was landing every single thing he threw, it seemed, especially that jab. Uh, and Giannis, it just seemed like it took him a while to figure things out. 
And yeah. it was a simple adjustment. You know, um, to me, it showed a vulnerability in Giannis in some ways that, you know, he, he didn't have a great way of countering the jab in that fight. Um, but his adjustment that he made was huge. And all he did was just walk forward. He's like, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I'm having trouble kind of backing up and trying to counter this dude. His jab was too fast. He was coming with a lot of other techniques. He decided to uh, lead the dance and come forward. And lo and behold, Costa didn't have uh, the countering skills to get it done. And you compound with what he did in round one. Um, he just he was just exhausted. Uh, didn't pace himself. Right. And Giannis came back to show that he is not only a dude who's a hammer, but he's a nail as well. If you yeah. think you're going to go out there and take out Giannis and overwhelm him with volume or hard shots, think again. Giannis is there to fight to the death. He's a cold-blooded killer, um, a, a quiet assassin who I think might be a champion one day. Uh, and, and just, again, another this division is just insane. But Yanez is someone to watch. I would not be surprised to see him fight for the belt and even win the belt in the future. He's a stud, uh, and he took a lot of damage, and he showed that he's got championship heart. There's no question about that. That is high praise from Ken Flo, and you're right. That top 25, forget the top 15, top 25 at 135 pounds is just loaded with young talent in terms of Randy Costa and his failure to pace himself. Uh, your words, he's so conditioned can flow, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that, uh, that you can't run into, like, I feel like he prides himself on his strength and conditioning. He works with Phil DeRue down here. He runs miles upon miles in this Florida heat that I can attest to is no picnic. Um, Yanez goes body, body uppercut. I don't know if it was the body shot or a combination of the body shots with the uppercut or the conditioning, but I don't even know if I'm asking you a question, but Costa prides himself on his physical conditioning. And uh, if you don't pace yourself, it doesn't matter how hard you work, I guess, in training camp. Is that right? There's that. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great point, but also there's the emotional connection to the fight itself. Like it's one thing to be in great shape, you know, on the road when you're putting in your miles or, or, or on the pads or even in sparring. But again, we've seen it so many times. I've seen it so many times with, you know, people I train with amazing in the gym, they get out to fight, you know, you, you don't quite see them perform the same because of, you know, the pressure, the lights, you know, whatever it is, um, they're not comfortable in there. So that emotional connection of fighting in the, in the biggest MMA promotion of the world will throw off a lot of people. Yeah, and I think right. getting that comfort level to the point where you're nice and relaxed, I think will help cost it. I think he's going to learn a lot from that cost is another guy who can go very far as well. No he doubt about it. And uh, Cody's telling me, Randy did say that it was the liver shot that sort of spelled. Ah. Uh, and that'll do it as well. <laughs> and obviously fight to fight emotions can be different. I know for you, maybe in Boston emotions were there that maybe weren't there in Vancouver, but Ken Flo's good at flipping that switch though. You know, <laughs> I tried flipping that nasty prick switch just up from off <laughs> to on. All right, so again, uh, Brendan Allen, Nasordini, Mavov, Mickey Gall, Julio Arce, Sajara fucking Eubanks in the shape of her life. I mean, I could spend five minutes on how much time she put in to really become a flyweight physically, you know. On and on it goes, but Brendan Allen at 185 pounds, uh, it stands to reason would be a real problem. I, th- I think the only thing that I could see as a knock on B.A. is that I don't know that he loves fighting and loves mm-hmm. training as much as these other guys. Like, mm-hmm. he loves his family. You know, right. like I, you know, but man, he is one of 
one of the more well-rounded skilled fighters I've ever seen. You know, a lot of people felt like he needed a floor fight against Punahele Soriano and was able to beat him on the feet 30 to 27 times two, 29, 28 on the dissenting card. Nasordini Mabob with a nice finish. Mickey Gull. Uh, great, great UFC fight night at the old there uh, UFC apex. Uh, all right. We will have more on UFC fight night, Sandhagen versus Dillashaw later in the week with, uh, with Ray Longo. Now though, it is time for the pronunciation of the week. It is presented by Canada dips. They got a big giveaway going on on their social media this week as we call on our executive producer, Cody Merrow. What's up, kid? Huh? Huh? Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. I'm How trying you doing? to, I might change my last name to Costa, you know, Randy Costa, Cody Costa. Costa, Cody Costa. You would just be the, the hottest trio in MMA. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know your softer side. I think Merrow's a little softer than Costa. No? Yeah. Mar- Merrow means mermaid as well. So yeah, there not you really go. something I'm that proud of. There you go. All right, so we do have some voicemails from our voicemail line that I'm going to get to in a little bit, but I, I would like to start with the pronunciation of the week if uh, if you're so inclined. So this one's interesting. He's a German fighter who is going to face the highly touted Munir Lezez this weekend on ESPN. And uh, Cody, I'd like to hear you say this German fighter's name. Uh, East German specifically. Um, but <laughs> the way that you say his name is Niklas Solcha. Nicholas Green Mask Stolze. Nicholas Green Mask Stolze. 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 I mean, that's a hit for me, you know? I think I got uh, it, baby. Which I mean, Kenny, that's thing. good enough for me. Thing, boys, ready? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Let's go! Uh-huh. Woo! That's how confident that's, I was. I got a sound a for it. So what did you say, Cody, for his first name? Right. So that's the problem. And that's why I didn't yeah. say anything. Because I thought it was Nicholas. Yeah. He said Nicholas. like Nicholas. Yeah. I was giving him more credit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm just I mean, it threw me that. off. But I'm, I'm saying. Don Hardy. The, the ju- first name. Just like the 10-8 scorecard, he wrote it, it's sent in, it's gone, you know? Yeah, and he doesn't have to answer any interview questions after about it. So There's no replay? Can we go back to a replay? Right. No. Right. No right. questions. It's just gone. On to the next. Our right. good man, Bo Templin, suggested that there should not be instant replay for the pronunciation of the week, and, uh, and I agree with that. All right, we also have a file. This one's for you, Ken Flo. I'm not going to ask you to say this fighter's name, but I, I pulled up this file for you um, okay. because this fighter's last name is Yaya. He is a Brazilian yes. fighter and certainly resonates with our audience. He's been in the UFC for, for almost 11 years. But I want to play this file for our listeners because every time there has been a Ronnie – oh, fuck, I did it. But every time there has been a Yaya fight, Kenny, over the last 10 years, we called his debut, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, but every time there has been a Yaya fight over the last 10 years, we hear from somebody suggesting that we pronounce his name incorrectly. So, Cody, for the audience, can you play Yaya's file? Ronnie Yaya. Ronnie Yahya. He does not go by Hani. He has Americanized it. He says Ronnie Yaya. So uh, that's all. Just let yeah. Me know. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's it's up to the fighter how they want to be called, how they how their name wants to be pronounced. It, it could vary from different regions of Brazil to uh, it, it, whether they're you know, hey, I spend my time in the United States. I want to be Ronnie instead of Hani now. Right, right. Uh, so. Yeah, exactly. Like John Anik does research in case you didn't notice, guys. So he's not just like winging it. 
Casey, it's all practice. Yeah. It's not ability, yeah. right? I bridge the talent gap between me and everybody else with hard <laughs> That's work. Not no, true. we are gonna get you to we're gonna get to a Ronnie Yaya fight pick later. And I just felt like yeah. we should get ahead of it with the audience and let him know that yes. uh, he goes by Ronnie well and done. not Honey. All right. So uh so Cody, we have some uh some voicemails for stiff bottom lip brought to you by Canada Dips. What do you have for us on the voicemail line? By the way, 857 Ken Flow 301. This makes me feel like I'm back on 1510 The Zone, Sporting News Radio, Boston. <laughs> 857 on your dial. I keep interrupting the fucking number, though, Cody. 857-301-8994 if you would like to leave us a voicemail. I expect to hear from mixed martial arts referee Jason Herzog on that voicemail line. 857-301-8994. Cody, let's hear from some of the listeners. What do you have for us this week? Uh, a lot of people upset about Diana Belbitza's pronunciation. <laughs> That's what this voicemail is about. John Kenny, a uh, huge fan calling from Buffalo, New York. John, I just wanted to give you a shout out for using the heavy Boston accent when my boy Billy Q won last night. Really solidified the Buffalo and Boston rivalry. <laughs> Great show, guys. Hope to hear more from you guys in the future. Bye-bye. Oh, that's a nice voice nice. right there. I uh, thought he was going to rip you for, for, for uh, ripping on Buffalo, dude. Right. Remember? I, uh, yeah, I know. You I know. Said well, that, that begs the question. Are you guys ranch or blue Buffalo. cheese guys? Ranch or blue ranch cheese? Ranch or blue cheese. I, uh, that Buffalo, New York, when I said it on the call, I didn't plan to say that. Hey, by the way, on the breastfeeding front, on the nursing children while still competing in mixed martial arts front, yes. got a nice, nice message from Misha Tate last week about. Did that. you? Good. Yeah, she certainly did not have a problem with me, uh, mentioning no. cool it's a she's a total inspiration so uh sure. i just i really think it's amazing uh that a woman would be breastfeeding on the day that she would be beating up another woman in an octagon i think that's really also cool. people it like makes people uncomfortable like you know yeah. like even yeah. other women and men like it's like she, yeah that, that's what yeah. they've been doing since the beginning guys it's a boob Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and my wife will be the first one in line to give me shit or be like, Ooh, I went on social media. Like, what'd you do this time? You know? Um, but she was like, no, women are full of pride who have done it. Yeah. And husbands who have witnessed it and, and what it, the toll it takes. Um, so that's where I come at it from. Right. Um, however, off putting to, uh, the mass audience, Cody, what else do you have for us? Well, so I think Kenny would break the internet if he got like the fake boob, like Ben Stiller. And he like took uh-huh. a picture like that, you know, for the stunning resemblance. Yeah. Just joke. You can milk anything with nipples, Cody. Uh, yeah. All right, Cody, what else you have? Uh, so last one, then I'll get on out of here. Hey, John, Kenny, Longo, the beauty behind the scenes, Cody. Listen, this is Craig here. What do we think about the judging uh, last night? You know, as a better, it's a little bit frustrating, but I'm more frustrated for the fighters. So I uh, love you guys. You know, keep on doing you. Yeah, it's a hard thing, and we spend a lot of time on it, Ken Flo, yeah. because the the lazy take that is, oh, don't leave it in the judges' hands, is becoming a little bit more relevant in 2021, right? When a fighter like Miranda Maverick goes back to training and thinking, man, maybe I should watch some Ken Flo footage and start mixing in some more elbows because those cut people and then doctors get involved, right? I mean, but you do... <laughs> You do have to adjust with the times in any walk of life. And we seem to be in an era right now where the public and the athletes are disagreeing with a lot of the scorecards that are being handed out. So I don't know if it affects change with the fighters, but yeah, we all feel awful for the athletes when they think they win and uh, half their money doesn't come in the check, you know? 
No question about it. You know, the other thing that's throwing people off is that when you see hundreds or thousands or tens, whatever it is, how long, long you've been a fan of mixed martial arts in the UFC and you see how they typically score a fight and you see something completely different, it, it, it's going to be a head scratcher. And I think that's yeah. what's throwing people off. And, and for fighters as well, it's like, yeah, do you want to go out and try to finish guys? Absolutely. You're you're facing another elite mixed martial artist. They trains for this stuff. So you're not just going to go out there and finish everybody you fight, okay? It, it, these are tough things to do. Yeah. So um, even for them, being like, hey, I thought I did enough based on what I've seen from MMA judging to win the fight. I should win the fight. And then when they don't, they're like, what? Well, you so know what when Kenny affect. Florian – Go ahead, Cody. It affects my change. And I know it affected Kenny yeah, and Ian's yeah. change. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So when Kenny Florian, thank you, Cody, made his UFC featherweight debut in Vancouver, it was June of 2011. He beat Diego Nunes on my card two rounds to one. He did get clipped a little bit in, in round three, if memory serves. Yes, but basically, end. if Kenny beat Diego Nunes, in all likelihood, he was going to get a UFC featherweight title shot against Jose Aldo a few months later. And I remember thinking like, yeah, it's Ken Flo 29-28. But in those three minutes, you know, Never at commercial know. break at home, I'm thinking, man, you know, like right. he might retire if, you know, he doesn't beat Diego Nunes tonight on two of these three scorecards, right? Because of his yeah. back and everything else, but uh, yeah. got the title shot against Jose Aldo. And then ultimately uh, the back gave out. All right. We have another UFC fight night coming up this weekend. It's UFC fight night hall versus Strickland. Today's main event challenge is brought to you by odd shark. Your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. I'm telling you head over to odd shark and are playing like a shark today that is oddshark.com don't forget the second desk all right let's make some picks it's the main event challenge and the time is most definitely now i finished fights i'm gonna do everything possible to win the main event challenge the john anik and kenny florian podcast so uh, we welcome in Ian Parker on social media. He is at Ian Parker MMA. We just had a spirited conversation off the air, and maybe Cody's bringing some of that into the show and post. I really don't know. He's the executive producer. I am not. But both of you guys went like one and six, and we don't even need to get into it because there were a lot of issues with the judging. And Ian, we got into some things earlier. Here's one thing that I'm going to do for our Anakin Florian podcast listeners. I'm not going to say it's going to help, right? I've had conversations in the past with Sal Diamato and Chris Lee and other judges I am going to seek out Sal D'Amato on behalf of this program and mixed martial arts fans around the world. And I am going to go through some scorecards from this particular evening uh, and talk a little bit with him about that and with some about some of the 10 eights and see if he'll uh, be willing to sit down with me on or off the record, because I've had a lot of people ask me to do this and uh, I don't really know how to affect change. Um but Ian, like Kenny was saying earlier, like with Maverick and Barber, like he's literally going to take a piss. And like if he didn't get back in time, he would continue watching the card and just assume that Miranda had won. Yeah. I look, I, I, <laughs> I know it's, it's I just like look, I don't even know how to like word this. I just don't understand how certain things are so unclear when they're so drastically clear. Like you even remove the stats 
forget that she outstruck Macy Barber in significant strikes by almost what two and a half times, right? Forget about the control time. When Mariah Faber is yelling at Macy Barber in rounds one and two, hey, you need to try and hit her. I mean, like, he's not saying that because he's hitting her a lot. He's not saying that because she's winning. Like, right. picking up, you're losing. Hit her because you have not hit her. Like, I just don't – like, I understand that fights are close. Like, the TJ and Corey fight, okay. But, like, round four for TJ? No. Like, no. Macy uh, Barber well. – like, the Macy Barber – like, and then we always hear about this. Like, oh, late takedowns at the end. Late takedowns at the end. All right. Some random maverick was winning round two, had the late takedown, poured it on – how does she lose that round? I, like, I are they really going to the bathroom during this? Are they using your piss rocket thing underneath and doing this? I like, I don't. Are they texting Kenny during the fights and looking down? I have no idea what's going on. It's it just actually it, right here. I had a feeling. That's what I'm game. saying. You don't take My, breaks. You pee during the bro. You pee during the podcast. I get it. They should really rebrand that, John. I mean, they should take the H off. Take the H out. Somebody actually did when I posted this on social media. If you do happen to watch this show and not just listen, I am showing my disposable personal urinal bag with Lixorb super absorbent pouch. So you can piss right down your leg while you're calling fights. Yeah, which which is probably what they do. Otherwise, I just don't understand how else it could be what it is. Here's the thing, right? And and these are my contemporaries, right? I share UFC shuttles from the goddamn host hotel with these referees, okay? But I will just say in no uncertain terms that it is fucking mind-numbing that two of the three scorecards that matter had round two for Macy Barber over Miranda Maverick, you know? And again, yeah. like Ken Flo and I and Ian too, we're going to start trotting our children out, you know? You know what? New segment, Cody, you know? We're going to have Riley fucking Annex scoring fights. She's nine. <laughs> You know, um, and she'll be aligned with you, Ian, you know, so, but I mean, but like, I'll I'll give you an example, right? I have, I have, I know people, friends of mine that have started watching this sport because they've seen me now on here and other things. And like, I will get like, even on Twitter, people will be like, how is this possible? You know, it's not even on the betting side of it. These careers, this is the only sport. Well, outside of boxing, but the show win rate is not very large for someone like Miranda Maverick. Like this is someone who, if they said, all right, we're paying you and I'm not going to get into fighter pay. Like I'm definitely not going that way. But like, if she came into the UFC, the way people go into the NFL, like the backup placeholder is making 600,000. Like had I I known that I would have learned how to hold the ball way better. Right. You get paid like insane, but like someone like Miranda Maverick, who's in school doing all this is probably now a fallback loses a ton of money probably makes next to nothing off this because of two people that probably were not watching as they should i guess i mean how else do you how else do you explain that like john if this shit was close i wouldn't be talking it's too close well right and if she's making 30 and 30 she goes home with 30 instead of 60 net fucking 17 or whatever minus taxes minus your coaching fees minus your if i'm a fighter i'm screaming from the rooftops give me open scoring You know, let me know after round two that the judges took a piss during round two and that as such, I'm not winning. But that does, but but to be fair though. That helps, but that's only like, it's not helping the problem of bad judging. You know what I mean? It's just like, yes, that helps, but it's. It's like the judges should be able to do their jobs. That's like that's like yeah. Stop, John. How do you you know what I mean? 
I agree with you, you, but yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like, how do you, if you're Miranda Maverick and you're going into that third round and now all of a sudden you, you're down to nothing, you're down to nothing, how she's not, but that, but that changes the way she fights now because that's not, and she shouldn't have to be forced to her back against the wall when she's clearly winning. What Kenny and I are trying to say, and I know you're saying this is that how has the, I know this is not Dana White, people that blame the UFC and Dana White for this, like just. You got to do your research. It has nothing to do with him. It's the athletic commission of the state. But how does the athletic commission not find people like the referees in the NFL? I think Cody brought this up. He did. They get fined, right? Referees get fu- like there has to be some sort of repercussions. It has to be some Absolutely. sort of anything because if you are blowing, this is blowing people's careers in the NFL. If you make a bad call, it affects the whole team. These guys come back the next week. They're still making millions endorsements. Miranda Maverick to the casual fan, People are like, all right, so we'll just see right. the next person, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's hard, and you're wise to acknowledge that it is not the UFC, right? Let's say Dana White wanted to get verdict MMA and use the global scorecard to determine winners of fights. It's not his jurisdiction. It's under the Nevada State Athletic Commission. That wouldn't fly. But, yes, we've had long conversations about five or seven judges versus three. I do believe if you were to poll – a group of 1000 qualified MMA minds, former UFC fighters who are agenda lists or whatever that pool was more often than not, we would get the accurate winner more than the three scorecards that we are employing. But, uh, I don't but know. I wouldn't, talk- but John, I wouldn't even do UFC fighters. Cause I think you're going to have some bias at that point too. Too many teammates. But anyway, I, yeah. the, the, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of issues. It with gives it. And us I good understand- podcast though. Of, and hey, and Kenny, I understand the counter argument to open yeah. scoring and Ian as well. Like, I totally understand that it effectively changes the sport. So I'm not. Are you texting? And I, I start talking. This guy's fucking texting. I'm, I'm just saying I understand the arguments against Calls open scoring out. that it I that's what I do. I call everybody out, you know, and to people have varying degrees of sensitivity. Notice how Longo is starting to call me out on the show. It's like anybody can call me out anytime. You know, and I would not do that. It's your show. I would never do no, that. It's, it's your show. My show. That's the thing. It's like it's Cody wants. Cody has said to me privately, like, I wish these guys would fucking knock your balls around the way you bust their chops, you know, because he thinks it would help the show. So have at it. I'm an easy target. Just ask my children. You know, <laughs> they're like, dude, look at your eyebrows. Like it's your eyebrows going to be one by the time you wake up tomorrow. Well, to be fair, you you wear your hat like like I did in college. So I can't even see huh. your eyebrows. <laughs> I know. I know. That's because uh, I'm stoned this morning. <laughs> All right. Shocker. At middleweight, guys, Roman Kopolov minus 250 versus Sam Alvey plus 200. Ken Flo wanted to make a pick on this fight because it is Sam Alvey's 50th pro MMA contest, and we wanted to acknowledge as much. So Kopolov, 8-1. and one. He's 0-1 in the UFC. He's had four fights canceled in the UFC. Alvey on the other side, of course, Sean Strickland's teammate, Ian Last win came by split decision over John Vellante in 2018, but he has been competitive at times in recent outings. What do you think of Alvy here uh, as the two to one or so dog against Kopolov? I can't take Alvy here. Unfortunately, his style is his style. It's uh, go hard or go home, hit a home run or not. The question is, can he pull a Darren Elkins almost? That's who I, I compare him to. Can he weather the storm, take the damage, and outlast the other guy and get them tired, almost rope-a-dope? Because what Elkins does, he literally is like, listen, you can do 10, six me in the first round. I'm going to win rounds two or three. Cause you're going to gas out trying. I just don't see Koplov doing that. So I'm going to go with him here. I may need to get a Darren Elkins autograph, Kenny. I don't even collect autographs, 
I have a Ken Flo autograph right over there, but I don't like, I don't have autographs. I don't seek autographs. <laughs> I want a Darren Elkins autograph. Like I need him to sign a picture of himself just covered in blood. Ken Flo, what do you have for us on smiling Sam Alvey and Roman Kopilov? Yeah, man. You know, listen, I, I agree with Ian. I, I think that, um, you know, and, and Alvy in some ways is most dangerous when he's kind of rope doping to a certain extent, he'll back himself up against the cage, you know, kind of look like he's not doing anything. And he'll try to crack you on the way in. Um, and if Kopolov, you know, did his homework, which he should have, he's got to be most careful as he backs him up, up against the cage. But yeah, I, I do think Kopolov, um, you know, has a lot of, a lot of advantages in this fight. I think he's the fresher guy, certainly big fan of Sam Alvey. Uh, but I think Kopolov uh, takes the win here. It seemed as though at one point Sam Alvey thought he was the co-main event. I know this fight card in terms of the bout order has been moved around a little bit, um, but that is not uh, the co-main. That's another heavyweight fight, which we will get to in a minute. Want to get to this one, though, fellas, between Kyung Ho Kong, minus 140, and Ronnie Yaya, who is plus 120. So Kenny may remember this. We called Kyung Ho Kong's UFC debut. It was March of 2013, Saitama, Japan. I missed my flight to Tokyo. Ken Flo had to MC the weigh-in. Um, but I remember Sean Shelby in our fighter meeting talking about Kyung Ho Kong all the way back when. Um, and now he's got more momentum than he's ever had in the UFC, Kenny. He's won three in a row. All of those wins in 2019 hasn't competed in this COVID-19 climate. Um, so what do you think about Kyung Ho Kong here ending an 18-month layoff against the well-traveled Ronnie Yaya? You know, listen, I think he's a tough kid. I think he has had some close fights uh, in the UFC. I think that um, I don't know, though, if he has the skills to um, get out of the round if Ronnie's able to take him down. Um, you know, I, I think Ronnie has a lot of firepower on the ground. He's very aggressive, uh, especially in, as, in regards to taking the back and attacking guillotines and things. Um, you know, we don't see Ronnie that consistently. We don't see him on a regular basis, it seems, these days. Uh, but I like his chances here. He, he's a slight underdog. Uh, I'm going to go with Yaya. Ronnie Yaya has been on the roster for more than 10 years. UFC debut was January 2011, a win over the legend Mike Brown. One of his 12 UFC wins, that is as many as Kenny Florian, by the way, 12 UFC wins. Ken Flo's winning percentage is a little bit better, but hey, you know. All right, what do you got? Yaya. <laughs> Kyung Ho Kong, Ian, uh, Ronnie Yaya coming off the submission win over Ray Rodriguez back in March. <laughs> I was just waiting for all the Kenny Florian accolades and parade to end before we got to I, the, uh, I mean, I'm just, the most exciting I'm around fight. my office. Before like we Ken got Florian to the most exciting everybody. fight in 2020. Yeah, let's bring out the trombones for Kenny real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I had it for Kit Cope. Um, so look <laughs> – I still, you, one day you're going to have to tell me how that fight came about. I still don't understand how his team ever thought that was a good idea. We were in the same locker room for the left, for, for 264. We were in the same locker room together. It was pretty funny, but. Uh, he's still, oh, oh he's really? still, oh, he's still coaching and stuff. He's, he's still, still coaching. He's still yeah, still in great shape. Yeah, he's yeah who's he there man. with? Who was he there with? He was, he cornered uh, Jessica I. Yeah. yeah. Team that I explains, is ever. That explains it. Doug. Yeah. <laughs> that go ahead it. uh go ahead uh, all right sorry um no, i do like i like ronnie yaya here also i think to kenny's point um i know i listen i write my picks down before we even do this um you know 
the guys, his opponent's been out for way too long, not fighting that COVID climate. And I think with Yaya, also his striking has gotten better. You know, he's not just throwing to get the takedown. He's actually staying composed. He hits pretty hard. And I think he throws people off. And once he gets on the ground, he is so, so tricky. You know, he goes, the only thing I will say though, and this is driving me crazy. And Kenny is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert, probably feels this. Could these guys stop jumping guillotine and losing position in every single scramble in the UFC? I mean, I, you know, I even heard James Krause yelling to Minner, don't jump it, don't jump it. He jumped it, he lost. Yeah. Stop jumping the guillotine. Right. It's in the first yeah. 30 seconds when you're dry as a bone, fine. But like when you're sweaty, even like the slightest bit, stop. Especially I, with the arm in. Especially with the arm in, man. It's hard hard to finish. So, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, I wasn't going to say that. You made me sound smarter there. But, yeah, no, totally with the arm in. Uh, <laughs> I'm going Roddy Aya. <laughs> All right. Co-main event was to go down last Saturday. Instead, it gets a one-week delay and a far more prominent placement on the fight card at heavyweight, Chris Dawkins minus 195, Shamil Abdurrahimov plus 165. We'll need the round, the method of victory, and all that. Uh, Ian Parker, co main event. Dawkins has done some good things thus far 3 0 in the UFC. How do you handicap this one against the returning Shamil Abdurrahimov? Shamil's, I think, being a little undervalued here. It doesn't mean I'm going to go that way, but again, but he loses to guys, I think, that are better athletes, faster punt, faster power punchers in the heavyweight division. And I think Dawkins has been surprisingly very, very good and been composed, not just going for the knockout. I think when he's just flowing with his punches and moving forward and using angles, I, his athleticism, I think, is uh, quite sneaky. And I think he gets the win here. Shamil's not the easiest person to put out. And I haven't seen Dawkins really go, what, go past the first round yet. So I'm going to, roll the dice and say he wins by TKO in round one. But if he doesn't, I'm curious to see against adversity and cardio where he's at. So for now, I'm going to go that way. You're right. Dawkins is a sneaky athlete and physically getting better every day, trying to move to 4-0 in the UFC here against Shamil Abdurahimov, who is back for the first time in a long time. Last appearance, a loss to Curtis Blades, I believe, <laughs> UFC 242. So that was September 2019. Four times Shamil Abdurahimov was scheduled to fight Cyril Ghan in 2020. Four times. Might be a blessing in disguise that you avoided Cyril Ghan. Um, visa issues also forced him out of a fight earlier this year against Augusto Sakai. So hard to know which version of Abdurahimov shows up here. What do you think, Ken Flo, Dawkins or Shamil for you? Oh, man. Uh, Shamil's got a great name. I love Shamil Abdurahimov. Uh, great name. Uh, However, um, I, I do think that... Um, you know, he, he he doesn't quite have those finishing skills. And I think that's one thing that is kind of preventing me uh, from picking him as, as an underdog. I think Chris Dawkins has a lot of firepower. He's very aggressive. You know he's going to bring the fight to Abdurahimov. I don't think Abdurahimov has, you know, the takedown game or um, – you know, a, a dangerous striking game that's going to prevent Dawkins from just coming forward and taking advantage of him. So uh, I like Dawkins here. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take him by decision. Chris Dawkins, not to be confused with Kyle Dawkins by decision, the pick to click for Ken Floor. I may have had a middleweight first UFC headlining spot for Sean Strickland, deservedly so. He's the modest 220 favorite against Uriah Hall. I mean, deservedly so that he's getting the main event, not necessarily that he's getting this type of respect from Las Vegas. I'm I'm going to be non-committal there. Uh, Uriah Hall, though, plus 180. Hall, number eight in the world. He has won four in a row to vault into contention. Strickland's also won four in a row, Ian. And he's 23-3. and three. I just think an underappreciated UFC athlete, Sean Strickland, 20 fights over 500, trying to move into the top 10 with a win here. IP, who wins the UFC fight night main event? 
if I could only tell the future that easy, right? Um, here, here's my questionable thing with Sean Strickland. So his fight style used to be a lot different. He used to be more in the clinch, used to use his wrestling a lot more. Now he's getting very comfortable with his striking, but he seems to be like just too comfortable that he's walking forward that nobody can hurt him since that Brendan Allen fight. He literally just walks forward. He talks trash, which is cool. There's this new mean tough guy. And I believe in him. I think he's great. But against someone, Uriah Hall, who has all the tools, especially in the stand-up game, to be one of the better strikers, if not the top two or three in that division, this, to me, it comes down to what Uriah Hall are we going to see? Mentally, he's his own worst enemy. And that's been the reason why he's never reached the top of the mountain, why he hasn't fought for even a title contender spot. When he gets there, he just shuts down. With Anderson Silva fight, he was not really fighting his style until the end where he finally loosened up. And against Sean Strickland, he's not going to have a lot of time to get over his doubts get you know, and not be confident. However, I think the style plays in his favor. Doesn't have to worry about the takedowns. This guy's going to walk straight forward at him, and Uriah can move around and take angles. I think the value's on Uriah Hall. I don't think Strickland has fought anyone at this level yet. It doesn't mean Strickland can't win. He's tough. But if he doesn't mix in that wrestling where Hall obviously will be at a disadvantage and it's just a kickboxing fight, you got to give me Uriah Hall at those odds. I'll take Uriah Hall by decision. Uriah Hall, the captain of Fortis MMA by decision, plus 180 for Ian Parker. All right, Ken Flo. I love this main event. I'll be sitting on my couch watching, eating fucking popcorn. Uh, who wins it? Listen, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. Sean Strickland, uh, very tough dude, um, has a lot of momentum now. Um, but I, I do think he's facing someone very different uh, in Uriah Hall. I think Uriah Hall um, is going to be a little bit too quick. I, I think that Sean, even if he decides to switch things up, which I do think he he should at least, uh, and, and look for takedowns in this fight, even then, I, I don't know if his, his takedowns are that dominant where he can repeatedly do that over the course of five rounds um, and not get caught by Uriah Hall. I, I think Uriah um, is going to be very dangerous in this fight, especially early first 10 to 15 minutes. I think Sean really needs to be careful, especially when he comes forward like he does. I, th- I think that's when Uriah can really catch you with a spinning back kick or uh, a, a cross coming, you know, coming forward. So I think um, I, I like Uriah Hall here. Um, I need to do something a little different than than Ian, right? Uh, let's go with the finish. Uh, let's go with let's go with a round one finish. Round TKO. one TKO for Uriah Hall. The way Ken Flo sees it this weekend. John, I'm going to put this out there. If Uriah Hall finishes Sean Strickland the first round, you give Kenny double the points of what it's worth. There you go. You heard it here first. How about that? Sean's not easy easy to finish. And this is no disrespect to Sean. I just, I think it's a good matchup for Uriah. Um, Sean's a stud. um, But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, IP, good stuff. Uh, we look forward to talking to you next week, obviously, in advance of uh, the monster that is UFC, what, 265? Does that sound right? Sounds right. All right, buddy. Have a great week. We'll, we'll talk to you in less than seven days, kid. See you, guys. Easy. There he Later. is. Ian Parker, the duck, with us for the main event challenge. All right, don't forget more content at anikfloreanpodcast.com. If you like my shirt, 
with us on it. I don't know if I'll wear it's this. It's a good looking now. shirt. It's pretty sweet. Ken Flo front and fucking center. I love <laughs> when my wife wears this to run. She's got Ken Flo front and center like that. Uh, com. We will be live either on Instagram or on our YouTube channel with Ray Longo later in the week. But uh, certainly if you want to send him a shout at Ray Longo MMA, I know he would appreciate that. Um, thanks to our executive producer, Cody Merrill. Thanks to Ian Ken Flo. Can we get the fuck out of here? You good? You got it. Right. Let's do it. Good. Let's do uh, it. Hey, thanks, everybody, for supporting the show. Really appreciate it more than you possibly know. I uh, can't say that enough. Tell your friends, hit that subscribe button, all that stuff, because I guess it helps. But thank you for supporting the show. Six years strong and running. We will talk to you next Monday, and uh, we won't charge you. Until then, don't text and drive. You'll fucking late. Anakin Florin Pod. I finished fight. I finished podcast. Love you guys. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.